Hi everyone, this is Stefan. This insight clip is taken from episode 29 of the podcast with Stephen Alexander. Stephen is a Mitax Science Policy Fellow and Science Advisor based at Fisheries and Oceans Canada. He is also an adjunct assistant professor at the University of Waterloo. Prior to this, he was a postdoctoral research fellow affiliated with both the National Socio-Environmental Synthesis Center in the U.S. and the Stockholm Resilience Center in Sweden. He calls himself an environmental social scientist, and his research focuses on community-based conservation and natural resource management, environmental governance, and the human dimensions of environmental change. In the clip, we discuss a 2019 paper led by Stephen published in Nature Sustainability with the title Qualitative Data Sharing and Synthesis for Sustainability Science. We discuss its key messages for dealing with and recognizing the importance of qualitative data use and management. Thanks for tuning in. This is the Finding Sustainability Podcast. It, it, I think that leads nicely into some of the challenges that you all outline in this nature sustainability paper. I think one nice thing about that is that you you kind of show, or you in the introduction, you're showing that there's different types of qualitative data beyond the text. And I think that that doesn't get enough attention. Things like photographs and, and artwork and video and music and maps, um, and also text from many different types of sources, journalistic policy documents and, and social media. Uh, it, it really outlines the broad spectrum of qualitative uh, data, which is out there and how it can be useful. And I also, I also thought it was nice how you all outlined, I, I hope I'm summarizing this right, it was about three different challenges uh, around qualitative data and, and the sharing of qualitative data and the reuse of qualitative data um, in synthesis research, and particularly if we think about comparative research across different cases. And, you know, the first one was epistemological and how the actual origin of those data and how they were created and, and understanding that process. And, and that might not always be transparent or obvious uh, when you're coming at it from a secondary perspective. And, and the other one was ethical um, and the types of questions that we have with, with sharing human data and, and very much personal data in some cases as we sit with uh, often in the collection of qualitative data in people's homes and, and talk about their lives. And yeah, this, then there's this practical repository aspect, which we talked about before in Michael's question. And, and I, I think the paper nicely outlines that and, and provides a, a good reference for us who are starting to think about some of these challenges. And I'm, I'm interested to hear what your summary is and, and case for qualitative data. And that, that's a bit in the title of the paper, that it can really add some value to sustainability science. And, and I think also with environmental social science, environmental science in general. And, you know, what's what's really the case there? Uh, I think you gave a good example of network analysis. But uh, what else, what else is there that we're not thinking about? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start a bit in terms of uh, the motivation for, for this, this paper and, and project, because I think it helps to, it, it responds to, you know, what, what you appreciate was how diverse we treated and, and tried to capture the, the breadth and depth of qualitative data. So this was, you know, I, as I had mentioned, I spent uh, two years based at the National Socio-Environmental Synthesis Center um, as a as a postdoctoral research fellow there, and I was surrounded by a lot of very quantitatively based folks. There was a few folks who were uh, trained as uh, 
you know, critical geographers and uh, demographers and sociologists, and so some who use qualitative qualitative data. But being in a place that's about uh, a center where the focus is on data-driven synthesis, it, it really got me thinking about, well, where is, you know, what is the place and the role of qualitative data and recognizing and, and kind of uh, having some conversations where you kept hearing, oh, well, you you know, kind of two things. One is there was always the, the barriers or the challenges that were brought up about why you shouldn't use uh, be, be sharing qualitative data for reuse. And it's like, well, there must be ways we can get around that. So that challenged me to to uh, my my former colleague, Crystal Jones, and I to put our heads together and say, OK, what is the what is the breadth of individuals we need to think through this this and problematize, but not just problematize, but try to identify kind of the solutions or pathways. And so that's why we have such a, you know, such a, uh, a, a big group of authors and collaborators who contributed to this, because we not only had you know, diversity of environmental social scientists, um, environmental historians, people who use like um, archival, uh, you think about, you know, their, the way they interact and what they consider to be data or the materials. Uh, but then also folks who uh, work in kind of the whole spectrum around, around data and data sharing. So people who are intimately working with uh, qualitative in qualitative data repositories, or those who think about questions related to metadata, or we had folks there who had um, backgrounds in applied ethics and were directors of institutional review boards. We had folks there who were editors uh, from journals who could bring that lens of thinking about, you know, the imperative for data sharing and the move towards open data. So the idea being is like, how do we think about all these different kind of moving parts? Because there's there's questions or concerns that come up when you when you break down kind of the the data life cycle. There's, there's all these different questions that come up that are so imperative. And so if you don't think through that entire data life cycle of when data is being collected, then whether or not or to what extent it can be reused is going to be more challenging. So it's like, how do we move upstream if our ultimate goal is, oh, we see the benefits and we'll talk about what those benefits are of, of using qualitative data in, in synthesis and to support sustainability science. Well, how do we think up, how do we look upstream in terms of what all the different moving parts are? And that's how we got to cluster around these, these three challenges around the epistemological, ethical, and practical challenges by bringing folks who kind of think about these, these different spaces, uh, really helped us to tackle those. The other thing that motivated this was, as, as you pointed out, you were talking about the, the, the breadth and depth of, of qualitative data and, for me, I couldn't help but think of the number of people who potentially work with qualitative data but don't realize they're working with that and what a huge benefit it would be if they were to share it. So I think about people who, um, you know, might have pulled together a collection of um, species recovery plans, you know, uh, endangered species recovery plans or management plans. You know, at, at their core, these are, you know, textual documents. And then they coded them and ran some sort of quantitative analysis to look at what preconditions led to some sort of outcome. But 
you know, when we talk about qualitative data sharing, people immediately think to, oh, you're talking about interviews that were done. Wait a minute. Like, what about this amazing, somebody did a lot of work to track down all of these, you know, recovery plans. Somebody else might come to that and say, wow, I have some really cool ideas. Like, if you're willing to, like, share that collection of management plans, I might run some cool textual analysis or machine learning or, you know, that for me, it was also this idea of, being based at a synthesis center, my mind was being kind of blown open in terms of the the number of different methods that could be applied. And so sometimes it's not till you put something out there and somebody from another field is like, oh, hey, this is we can ask some really cool questions with some new uh, new kind of tools that we're that we're developing. So that was another motivation was how do we not just talk to social scientists, but there's a lot of natural scientists who work with qualitative data and and might not think of it that way. Those who are using historical photographs think a lot of the work in um, in historical ecology draws on um, qualitative qualitative data, whether that be report logs from uh, whaling expeditions to uh, you know photographs of uh, recreational fishing. Uh, so it was really how do we speak to all researchers and scholars? you know, including those in the humanities to think about when they pull together these different collections beyond just interviews and transcripts, how those could potentially be of benefit to others to reuse. And then recognizing that there's a diversity of pathways in which those could be reused. That was the other thing that that was motivating this was that it's, you know, it's not just that you have to share your raw data. Maybe that's not appropriate for a number of different ethical and practical reasons, but it doesn't mean you can't share or make accessible parts of that for for others to to you know um, to spur collaborations and partnerships to advance and leverage that work that's already been done. So that's you know that's why in, in some regards I think that the figure that we we had in there was and the paper is kind of set up in a reverse order in that we 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 spent a lot of time talking about the motivation for why we should be sharing data, but then the rest of the paper kind of moves upstream to saying, okay, well, we made the case for why we should, uh, why we should be sharing it, which is, you know, we can think about its role in informing science, right. In terms of, uh, how that can help enhance understanding of spatial, spatial and temporal variability or around, uh, how it can inform kind of the underlying reasons for different, uh, relationships that come out in, say, statistical analysis or more quantitative approaches. Uh, it can contribute to kind of measuring multidimensional dimensional concepts like equity and efficiency, efficacy. Um, it can also help us, you know, contribute to theory when we think about, uh, you know, qualitative data derived from many different cases. So we can start doing cross-case um, comparisons. I know that's something you know, you've talked about on previous, uh, on previous podcasts, uh, with, with Michael and other guests. Uh, so there's this whole realm just in terms of thinking about advancing science, advancing our general knowledge. Yet there's also a role for it in informing policy and how, uh, it can help increase the evidence base for effective management and, and intervention strategies, uh, by being able to point to not just, uh, um, quantitative uh, studies and outcomes, but also there might be qualitative, qualitative data may also feed into that uh, as well. And then lastly is thinking about informing 
practice. And, you know, those uh, resource users or uh, managers, uh, think about those practitioners and how uh, they incorporate qualitative data gathering into their approaches, increases the legitimacy and efficacy of their activities, and it can move towards supporting place-based responses, right? Contextualizing um, uh, solutions uh, that, you know, when we think about these big regional global challenges, what are the, you know, place-based solutions and responses and how can it inform that? And then it's from there we kind of work after making the case. We then work through, you know, yeah, there, there are challenges. Let's, let's be upfront about that. And we know there's a diversity of them. But there's also, we, we, we then really end uh, and spend time talking about the, the pathway, right? So how can we enable qualitative data sharing? What does that look like? What are some things that we can be doing around um, with regards to like, what's the role for researchers? What's the role for funders? What's the role for research institutions? The idea of like, we try to think about this, like what's the, what's the data ecosystem? Where are the different actors involved? Um, and, you know, Michael's not here, but, you know, think about our, 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 our work in the commons. One of the, one of the collaborators on this, uh, does a lot of work around knowledge commons. So common pool resource theory and the knowledge commons. And that is, that is a huge aspect of thinking about, um, data sharing and one of the challenges. And when you think about motivation, the amount of time and energy as individuals we put into collecting that data and perhaps considering the value of that. What does it take to put that out there for the, the broader? How do you shift the norms, right? To think about sharing that, putting that as a contributing it to a, as a public good. Um, so it was, uh, you know, it was a, it, this, this is a, 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 a paper and a project and a process that was just so rewarding. And, and I learned so much along the process because of this diversity of, perspectives and individuals we brought together that really forced us to look at all of these little intricacies and aspects of it. Um, this just, you know, I, I feel like this paper sums up uh, kind of from a, a big picture standpoint, but there, there's so much more to be unpacked. And we have a, we have a white paper that we wrote as well uh, that we can link to in the, in the podcast uh, that, that dives into some of these, provides some more tools uh, and resources of points people to where they can be going. Um, and also in, in that paper, we have a really nice table, kind of a matrix that I think was one of the, uh, a really great outcome from this that in terms of a way to think about how we go about operationalizing this idea of, of qualitative data sharing that makes it more accessible and, and feasible and recognizing the diversity of ways it can happen. And in, and this matrix kind of has, has two axes. One across the, across the top of the axes is thinking about this, this aspect of, um, uh, levels of access, right? And this is common for, for any kind of data sharing, particularly of, of, um, human subjects, right? Is it totally open? Is it restricted? Is it controlled? But then what we, one of the uh, insights that came out and during the, the workshop that, that led to this paper was somebody was thinking about work being done in remote sensing and how in the field of remote sensing, they think about levels of processing of that remote sensing data. And so that got us thinking about this idea of like, you know, uh, totally unprocessed 
being raw data, right? So that could be, that's like your raw transcript or the audio recording to, you know, say level four processing. So you go from zero to four, four being the final output. So it's really just the summary of, say, the thematic analysis of an interview with the methodology explained. Um, or in the context of a, like a public policy document, uh, it might just be a descriptive summary of the themes. So when you start thinking about this, this levels of processing and levels of access, and we, in that, in that, uh, um, in that white paper, we give a number of different examples. We walk through what's this look like for like an interview? What does this look like for a policy document? What does this look like for, say, a map or a photograph as a way to recognize there's going to be different conditions that, that are going to, um, dictate to what extent you can, you, you can share in terms of questions of ethics from epistemological, uh, concerns, what you're comfortable sharing. And so this helps provide some guidance on how you could actually go about doing this. And I think, so from my standpoint, that was really exciting because it's like, here's a pathway forward. In addition to thinking about the role that all these different actors play, how, you know, we think about the policies that, that, uh, that journals have for data sharing and the need to both kind of support and encourage it, but also recognize and be open to the diversity of constraints that may be had. And so how can they help play a role in kind of leveraging and shifting behavior? How can funders play a role in helping leverage and shifting behaviors? But then thinking about this particular kind of matrix is like a nice kind of tool and way to think about in a concrete way what this could look like and the the diversity of, of approaches when you think about that level of processing and level of access being uh, a pathway forward. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed the conversations we're having, feel free to follow us on Twitter or to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. You can find us on most podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. You can also listen and find the show notes for each episode on our website, along with other projects related to the Environmental Social Science Network.